go ahead and turn, if you have a Bible, if you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, and turn to John 19. That's where we've been reading out of to, uh, tonight. And what uh, Norma just did an excellent job reading to us, uh, we're going to focus on just for a few moments together. I'm actually going to reread the passage. John 19 is where we're at. And we're going to take communion in just a moment, but I want to share with you something that is in this passage that I think will enhance what we're going to do tonight. And so let me read, starting in verse 19, Jesus has been crucified on the cross, and we're told in verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription, and he put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and that's what we'll focus on. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And so you see how the chief priests, they said to Pilate, and they said, don't write king of the Jews. They said, we want you instead to write, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. So the focus would not be on the title, but the focus would be on a claim that he had made. And you know Pilate's response. He says, what I have written, I have written. If I were to ask you the question, what was Jesus doing on the cross? Lord willing, if you're a Bethesda person and you're hidden here tonight, you would say something along the lines of saying, he, he died for me. Um, he took on my sin. Um, he stood in my place. You've heard me quote probably several times now the, um, the pithy statement from Charles Spurgeon that says, four little words is all I need. Jesus died for me. And so I think the operative word, you, you catch it there, right? is that word for. He died for me. And so what that means essentially is to say that he died in my place, on behalf of. He was the substitute for me. And so Christians believe, if you're a Christian, you believe that you have sinned. You and I, we have sinned against a holy and just God. It's not just that we sinned. It's who we sinned against, right? It's that we sinned against the holy creator, the one who is the judge, who does only what is right, sees all things, knows all things. And so we have sinned and we have offended him and we have deserved the just verdict of guilty. And so if you grew up in church, you've heard that verse that says, for the wages of sin is death. We know this, right? But we also know, and that's the bad news, we know the good news. The good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, has come down from heaven. He has died in our place. He is the spotless lamb that takes on the sin of the whole world. And so Christ is that substitute for us, for the justice of God that we deserve. He stands in our place. And you can say God satisfies himself, his justice, by sacrificing himself. And so we should affirm this. It's a good thing to affirm we just sang it a moment ago. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And so he bore the penalty we deserve. I want to ask you a question now. And here's the question. If We know that's what he's doing on the cross. But my question is, is that all that he is doing on the cross? Immediately someone might go, well, I think that was pl plenty enough that he did up there. I mean, he did die for the sin of the 
whole world. Uh, that's, that's enough, right? I mean, isn't it enough to say that he was brutalized by flogging? The skin on the crown of his head was, was, was shredded as that mocking crown of thorns was put upon him. All of the stuff that he went through that we just read about a moment ago. Isn't that enough, Aaron? What more do you want to ask for? How could there possibly be more? And I would argue that it might have something to do with the sign that is above the cross. The sign above the cross, what did it read? It read, Jesus of Nazareth, verse 19, the king of the Jews. Two other criminals were placed on his side, and he is in the center. And so historians tell us, why is there a sign that is put above a cross? Well, typically, if someone had committed a crime, uh, they would have what they did on, either they would hold it on their way to a cross, or they'd have it around their neck, or in Jesus, and in his case, the, the criminal sign would be posted above him so that when, when someone be, would be going in and out of the city, as we're told here, they would see the person crucifying, they would see what they did, the crime that they had committed, and then they would be shocked to their core because the government was sending a clear message. This is what you do. This is what happens when you mess with Rome. This is what, what you get. See the might of Rome on display. And so you can see how much of a mockery, though, it is for Jesus to have that sign above him. That's his crime, the king of the Jews. And so not only is he, he being mocked, you're a king, well, see what we do to kings around here, but on top of that, it's mocking the Jewish people, too. You have a Jewish king, well, look what we've done to him. See, what had happened just a moment ago, we just read this as well, is that after the trial had taken place, if you remember back, if you were with us last Sunday, Pilate had investigated and had, had tried to ascertain what was going on between the Jewish people and Jesus. He ended up throwing up his hands and saying, what is truth? He, had, he, he was just disenchanted with the whole thing, it seems. But what happened at a certain moment is that the Jews tried to twist Pilate's arm to say, to say we want you to do this even though you don't want to do it, Pilate, and here's how we're going to get you to do it. We're going to send a rumor out, and we're going to say, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar's. And if you know the Caesar during that time, he was a paranoid man, so that would, that would be alerting or concerning to Pilate. And so you can see his motive. He puts that sign above the cross that says, you're going to humiliate me, all of you people, I'm going to humiliate you. And so this is what you're going to get. Oh, you want it to say, not king of the Jews, you want it to say, he said, I am the king of the Jews, to focus on the, the claim he made. No, th this is what you're going to get. And so the sign hung, king of the Jews. John has repeatedly used irony in his gospel. I've pointed that out to you elsewhere. But it is particularly apparent in chapter 18 and 19. That man thinks he's calling the shots, and yet God God is in control the whole time. Pilate doesn't know when truth is standing him right in the face, and yet Pilate gets the sign exactly right when he puts the title above Jesus. It's true that a, that a broken clock can be right twice a day, and, and that's what's happening right here. Pilate's purpose was to mock Jesus and the Jews, and yet he is saying far more than he fully realizes that Jesus actually is the king. He actually is the king of the Jews. 
And those words that are posted in various languages indicate that this is an international message that is supposed to go to the whole world. And so what do kings do? They reign, they conquer, they vanquish their enemies, and they gain a victory. And so when you see that ironic sign that is being placed above Christ in his cross, it tells you that though you may not see it right in front of you, a victory is actually being accomplished. Christians have believed that since the beginning of the story of the Bible, when man fell because of his sin, Adam and Eve, what happened was that God dealt out punishment. He dealt it out to the serpent. He deals it out to the woman. He deals it out to the man. But as he's dealing out judgment, embedded in the judgment, embedded in the judgment is a little verse, Genesis 3.15, that gives a little bit of hope about what's to come. And it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and, he, I will, and you will strike his heel. Christ might be crucified, but he is simultaneously crushing the head of the devil himself as he is hanging on a cross. The king is reigning from a tree. In his death, he is dealing a mortal blow to death itself. And so, friend, I would ask you to see it. Do you see it? This word substitution that we talked about a moment ago, and this other word victory. And do you see how they go together? Christ is victorious over sin, death, and the devil by becoming the substitute for your sin, by dying in your place, by taking on the accusations from the devil that you deserve. And yet we know John 14 at the end of it, the devil has no claim on him. And so to quote one, one scholar, Michael Bird, he puts it this way, the divine victory is the goal to the atonement and Jesus' sacrificial death is the means to it. Through Christ's substitution, he has gained a victory for all of us. And so you can know tonight that your guilt is not the final state, death's door is not slammed shut, and the devil's accusations are not the final word. They are not the final verdict. Your brokenness in this broken world is not the end of the story. How do I know? How do I know? Because I can't help. I'm a Christian. I can't help it. I gotta let a little bit of light from Easter Sunday come into Good Friday. And this is where the Lord's Supper comes in. There's a reason why we celebrate the death, ironically, of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Paul summarizes what the Lord's Supper is all about in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then here's the key statement that puts it all together, what we've been talking about. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Someone might say, it's well and good that the king dies in our place, but what good news is it if the king is dead? And the answer is in verse 26, you're pronouncing his death because he is not dead, but because he is coming back one day. And so my Jesus may have come into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he may have suffered, but my king is no longer suffering. He is next to his father, and he will come down on that white horse, and he will fix all of this that is in front of us. 
How do I know there's a victory? The answer is, and here comes a little bit of light, because there is an empty tomb. That is why. The king will return. And so the bread and the juice that we're going to receive in just a moment, it symbolizes what he has done on that cross. And as we receive it, we remember what he's done in the past. As we website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.